Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. The Long View is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, so go and check out all that the Dice Tower has to offer. Uh, go and see all the latest news and reviews from Tom and Eric and the gang. And also check out all the great sister podcasts in the Dice Tower Network. That's Dicetower.com. The Long View is also generously sponsored by Gamesurplus.com. Go and find out why they're my first choice and why they should be yours. They have fantastic customer service, attention to detail, wonderful prices, super fast shipping, uh, wonderful packing. Uh, all the games I get from Game Surplus are always uh, well packaged, never get anything that's damaged. And anything that I'm ever looking for, I can just shoot them an email at games at gamesurplus.com and they'll be sure to track it down for me or import it for me. So if you're looking to get a game, please check out gamesurplus.com. And if you do, be sure to tell them the long view sent you. I also want to give a shout out to my local game store, The Gamer's Edge in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Go and find out why they're a growing resource in the northeastern PA and northern New Jersey, southern New York region. They're conveniently located off Interstate 80 right on Main Street. They have a huge selection, over 700 board game titles. They have an enormous selection of comic books and video games and collectible card games. Lots and lots of open table space. So if you're in the area, swing on by Main Street in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania and stop by the Gamer's Edge. My name is Jeff Gamble. I'm the host of The Long View, and today I'm very pleased to be joined uh, by Eric Dewey. Uh, Eric was kind enough to reach out to me a while back, uh, back when I was on uh, his show uh, with uh, Donald Dennis, of course, and uh, we had talked a little bit about maybe trying to do an episode about Battlestar Galactica, which is one of Eric's favorite games. So I was thrilled uh, to have the opportunity to talk with him about that, but we just couldn't seem to make our schedules work for a while. Well, thankfully, Eric was persistent and uh, reminded me, poked me again over the holiday break here. And so, Eric, I'm very glad that uh, you reached out, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you today welcome well thank you very much jeff i'm quite excited to be back or not to be back but to be talking with you again uh and certainly about battlestar galactica well thank you very much i appreciate it and uh, i hope you've had a wonderful uh holiday season um and had got to spend some time with uh, family and friends and got some good gaming in yes i did actually i've uh, got actually a lot of prototypes that have been sent to me for games coming out on kickstarter so i've been playing a lot of those and and they've been quite interesting and different themes so i really like the fact that it's not all zombies and elves <laughs> well that's nice that's nice <laughs> zombies and elves um anything in particular that you're allowed to talk about maybe that you would want to say that you were particularly taken with so victory point games sent me a copy of nemo's war which is based on Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea Oh yeah, it's a it's a solitaire game. It's actually a second edition, and uh, you're, so you're kind of going through the different uh, I don't know encounters that happen during the book, and also just trying to keep up with whatever goal that you choose to to try and pursue. and And it's really been intriguing. It's definitely motivated me to to pull out the book and read it, which I never have. and And I really like the the depth of it and. But it's also fairly simple, and man, is it difficult to kind of kind of keep up with. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I uh, did a whole episode about Nemo's War, I think, with Joel, um, and then actually had a chance to talk with Alan at the end of the show about this second edition. So I'm really looking forward to it as well. Um, the game is really uh, different, and and like you said, you're kind of choosing your victory condition. Um, you know, kind of the, the avenue, whether you want to kind of go for science and exploration or military or, you know, 
all of these different kinds of paths that you can follow. So I'm going to be really curious to see what the second edition, you know, the sort of deluxe edition offers, uh, because Nemo's War has, has been a, a pretty intriguing game for a while. And I love the fact that you said that, you know, playing the game made you go back and read the book. And that's one of the things I always love about this hobby is that there are times when, you know, I'll play a game and it'll get me interested in a topic and then I'll go and I'll learn more about the topic. And so you have that experience as well. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's been a handful of games like that. This one, uh, Lewis and Clark, we actually mm. bought because my wife had watched a documentary on it. We visited St. Louis and, and so it was really neat to kind of get a lot of the details there. And there's been a handful of other, actually, Honestly, Battlestar Galactica, I, I played the game before I watched the show, and it got me to watch the show. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, well, you know, that that sounds great. Well, thanks for giving us a little preview and a, a little teaser there about uh, Nemo's War 2nd Edition. Um, so, yeah, we are here to talk about Battlestar, and uh, this is a game that came out uh, in 2008. Uh, Corey Kuzneka is the designer, if I said that name correctly. Um, it's been around for quite some time, very highly ranked, uh, you know, number 32 currently on BGG, uh, thematic rank is 12 with a really solid rating of 7.81, which is uh, quite an accomplishment actually. Uh, it's listed for three to six players. I would argue more the merrier, um, in general with this game. And, uh, basically what we're talking about here, a very thematic game, uh, that is kind of like hidden traitor sort of a style of game for those people who maybe aren't familiar with the show or aren't familiar with the, the game. Um, it is kind of almost the, 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 like the, the progenitor of so many of these hidden traitor kind of games that have come since, um, at least in, in my opinion. Um, and basically, uh, it's a sci-fi setting, uh, the last kind of remnants of humanity uh, after this horrible kind of attack on uh, you know all of the colonies of, of uh, all the planets that humans live on, um, uh, they they have been almost completely wiped out and are being kind of chased uh, through uh, the, the stars by their creation, which are these kind of robots, these Cylons that were um, uh, you know that, that that have decided, as we see so many times in science fiction, that humans really are probably more of the problem than anything else. And so if we can only get rid of them, <laughs> everything will be okay. <laughs> and so the Cylons are kind of chasing uh, the last remnants of humanity uh, who are kind of being led by this grand old um, battle star, which if, if you want to think of it, it's like a huge aircraft carrier in space, okay? And uh, that kind of ship is guiding lots of other smaller ships, like a little civilian fleet, and uh, they're just trying to survive, trying to stay one step ahead of the Cylons, who have sort of this overwhelming superiority in numbers and in strength. And so there's a lot of running away. There's a lot of trying to get out of Dodge before you get completely annihilated. And uh, at least in the beginning, kind of unknown to the humans is that there are Cylons living among them. Um, in the series uh, that this uh, game is based upon, which is the more modern series, I grew up with the original, which is truly terrible, by the way. Um, oh, but, but you know, the... what's funny is I've been re-watching the old ones because oh. I also, you know, grew up there. Oh. And yeah, I mean, it's, They're terrible, it's cheesy. It's um, really bad, man. It's really bad. The Daggett thing. Like, I saw the Daggett and I'm like, no, I can't do this. <laughs> It was just too bad. It was, it was, it was really bad. Um, Because I I did the exact same thing you did after I watched the whole new series, and I was like, "Oh, this was so amazing!" And I said to my wife, "Hey, 
we should watch, you know, the original, you know, that from when I was growing up. And I put on the first episode. I was like, wow, this is really, really bad. I remember loving it as a kid growing up. And I remember one of my best Christmases was I got um, uh, the the big plastic toy ships of the Viper and the Cylon oh. Raider. Oh, Did it the have Cylon the, Raider? Uh... Yeah, it had the little torpedoes that launched, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it had the the Cylon Raider, the wings popped out. Popped out, you know. Uh-huh. Oh, yep. it was it was amazing. I was like, oh, this was the best, right? Um, anyway, yeah. Unfortunately, years later, going back and watching it doesn't really help it, <laughs> even for it, nostalgia. Yeah, I couldn't do it's it. it's cheesy. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, there's a lot of optimism in it that I really yes. appreciated compared to the current, you know, the new yes. series. Yes, which is just um, and, downright depressing at times. Yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> the other thing that kind of surprises me now, I got to be honest, I was I liked Battlestar Galactica, but I was more of a Buck Rogers fan uh, at oh, the okay. time. Although the shows were very parallel, um, right? But the guest stars that they had on Battlestar Galactica were amazing. They yes, had yes. Lloyd Bridges. They had Fred Astaire. They had uh, Patrick McNay. I mean, you know, these people. Now, granted, they were probably on the nadir of a lot of their their popularity at the time but i mean you know you got fred astaire playing starbucks dad that just cracks me up (laughs) yeah 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 you're right about that i mean everybody kind of did the cameos um you know because that show was kind of the when the original battlestar series came out that was like uh, it was like a, a a siren you know because everyone like me and probably you who grew up watching the reruns of star trek there was nothing new that had been made until suddenly you had Battlestar and you had Buck Rogers. Yep. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, you know, there's actually something new sci-fi that I can watch. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, I have fond memories of the show growing up, but as an adult looking back <laughs> on it, it was it was pretty bad. Okay. So, you know, the Cylons are kind of uh, have infiltrated the humans and they are going to do what they can to bring about the, the downfall of humanity, uh, either through sabotage directly or through intelligence gathering and uh, letting the, the, the Cylon, uh, you know, basically uh, the, the ships and fleet know where the humans are. And so um, over the course of, of the series, there's, there's a lot of things that go on that aren't really necessarily covered so much in the board game, but that kind of gives a general overview. Um, and, and so the players, uh, all of the players sitting at the table are going to be crew members. And these are crew members in this uh, game that are based on uh, the images and, and things of that nature are based on the, the second generation Battlestar Galactica series. And so uh, you're, you're going to be one of these main characters. Um, however, some of you are going to be Cylons and, and some of you are not. And so as a player, what you're trying to do is survive, number one. And number two, figure out who the Cylons are among you. And then try to sort of neutralize those Cylons so they can do as little damage as possible. As a Cylon, you're trying to hide until an opportune time comes when you can sort of, you know, out yourself, reveal yourself, and cause a lot of mayhem and hopefully cause the humans to to lose the game. So this is a game that breeds a lot of kind of paranoia and suspicion and finger pointing in all of the best and most fun ways. Um... The game time is listed at 120 to 240 minutes, and I would say that's pretty darn accurate. This is not a short game. This is a game that uh, is kind of an event game. I find, uh, you know, that you have to kind of schedule it. You have to get, you know, enough people together who are interested and willing to play. 
and who are kind of invested in the game. Uh, and we're going to talk about that later, Eric, you know, uh, how much you have to be invested in the story and, and the show and whatnot to enjoy the game. And then, um, you know, you, you got to be willing to spend some time. And so I have played this game uh, quite a few times. The first time that I played it, I hated it. I, I, <laughs> I was really bored. Um, the components were very uninspiring to me. Um, I didn't know who all these other people were. I didn't know why Edward James Olmos is looking at me. I, I hadn't watched the second show. And I was like, okay, so we run away again. And okay, we got to jump again. We got to, you know, it's like, okay, someone's a silent. And it, it wasn't very inspiring to me. Um, I didn't really enjoy it all that much. And I thought, my God, this game is so long. Um, but I, I played it, I think, as a four-player game. Um, and I was kind of like, eh. I was very meh about the whole thing. Um, then fast forward a couple of years, I watched all of the new series on Netflix, which I think they've taken down now, which makes me very sad. And uh, I absolutely then went back and revisited the game and loved it. You know, So it that's why I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit later, or we can even touch base on it now if you want, since I've kind of brought it up um, tangentially. Uh, how much do you feel is it necessary to kind of be invested in that story and in that kind of show and in that 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 particular uh, feeling that Battlestar because like you said between the two shows there's a vastly different approach and feeling uh, the modern one is much more dark much more cynical often downright depressing it feels desperate um, and all of those feelings I I think are kind of mirrored in the game extremely well whereas if you were a fan of the original you probably thought it was a lot of running away and, and not very, uh, not a lot of fun and, and a little bit uh, confusing, at least to me. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so when I first played the game, it was at a BGG con and they were demoing it. I think FFG had a little booth and they were demoing it. And I had watched a little bit of the, uh, the first episode or the pilot of the new Battlestar Galactica and I really didn't care mm -hmm. for it. Again, I, you know, I had all the nostalgic feelings. So I had never watched the show for any real length of time. Uh, so, But we wanted to try and play a game. So we sat down, and they, they kind of explained it to us. So I had no idea who these people were. But I just got so enthralled in the fact that, you know, I'm trying to figure out. I, see, I'd never played, like, Shadows Over Camelot because it just never really clicked for me, the, the game you were playing versus the hunting the traitors. So this was kind of my first traitor uh, experience type game and and actually was a Cylon and so they were teaching us the game and we were just playing it a friend of mine and there were six of us and I was just really amazed I was really ineffective but I was really amazed at what you could do <laughs> even when you had no idea what you were doing uh, and so from that point on I just got hooked and then eventually later uh, after playing the game a couple times like well I'm interested enough to watch give the show another chance and so I watched it and I liked it and I liked it and then I didn't like it and then I liked it a little bit and then it just kind of faded away. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting progression there. Yeah, I think I think uh, you, you bring up a couple of good points. Uh, earlier I made a mistake when I said, you know, this may have been like the first of the... Yeah, Shadows Over Camelot came before that, I believe. And uh, that was, again, a hidden trader game. And, and you're right about that. And that's one that I had played... And I was fully invested, as were my kids, in the sort of King Arthur theme. So that one went over huge with the family. And so this one here, you know, again, I, I just kind of wonder how much that... So for you, the theme, it didn't really matter whether or not you had experience with the show. You were just so enthralled with the gameplay 
and being a Cylon and trying to kind of do all that, that that kind of hooked you even though you weren't a fan of the show, yes? Correct. All right, so I'm wondering if maybe there's something to... See, I don't know. I, I don't know. It might not be fair to say that. Like, I was not a Cylon. And I think I got thrown in the brig a couple of times. And I just was kind of sitting there thinking to myself, I don't know. And then, like, someone would jump in a ship, in a Viper, and go outside the ship and fly around for a while and come back. And I, yeah. I just remember kind of thinking, like, I just, I don't know, man. I, I don't get this. But then when I played it after watching the show... Everything really made sense to me. The sort of relentless, uh, relentlessness. I'm going to try and get that word out, Erica. The relentlessness <laughs> of the pressure, um, the constant, you know, having to be on your guard, uh, the constant need to be ready to jump, um, because you know if that if that base star comes out and you know you start coming under attack, you're not going to survive real long unless you get out of there. Um, and so that I, I kind of felt after watching the show really made much more sense to me. Whereas before it's like, you know, you plop this little black X looking thing on the board. It's like base star. And everyone's <laughs> like, Oh, Oh, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, uh-huh. It's an X. And they're like, yeah. we got to get out of here, man. I'm like, why? <laughs> it's not even <laughs> not as scared of an X. <laughs> exactly. It's not even as big of a piece of cardboard as my piece of cardboard. What do you mean we have to get out of here? I got some dude named Chuck flying around in a Viper out there. We're going to be fine. <laughs> and, you know, everyone else at the table who had seen the show is like, oh, this is bad news. We got to We got to get out of here. We got to make the jump. And I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah, and I think we died because we ran out of food. Like it was, it was something yeah. terrible like that. <laughs> like we ran out of food. I'm like, really? We ran out of food and space. I'm like, okay, all right. So I just remember kind of not really getting it until I saw the show. And then I kind of understood the desperation. I understood how outnumbered they were. I understood that resources were scarce and water and food. And, um, you know, and then the, the sort of insidious nature of the uh, treachery of the Cylons all really came through in uh, the game and the gameplay for me from that point. So, all right, well, that kind of, I think, does a good job of covering our first experiences with the games and uh, and, and kind of what we were thinking about and, and what our background was um, when, when we came to the game. So, you mentioned that your first play was with six people. My first play was with four. How important do you think player number is in this game? I think it actually it is important. It kind of, I guess, depends on what you're looking for for that particular play. But I've played it with three. I've played it with four. I've played it with five. I've played it with six. And I've played it with seven. And definitely, for me, if there's more than one Cylon, I think that's really where the game becomes its strong suit. Uh, so, for instance, on players five, six, and seven, there's going to be two Cylons. And when that happens, I think that really creates, well, it gives the Cylons some more opportunities and also gives more of the human players opportunity to take action. Uh, I think it plays okay with four. Three is pretty weak because once the Cylons determined, they can usually be shut down pretty easily. Um, so five and six, I've had... I've heard people say that six isn't great because you start to use that sympathizer rule which i think we'll talk about in a little while but i've never had a huge problem with it but certainly five six seven is a good number so definitely the more the merrier for you as well um and i think you're right i think having that second cylon is is really important because as you said it, it doubles their kind of opportunities but it also makes it so that if somebody makes a mistake or if somebody misjudges, you know, and, and is kind of revealed as a Cylon, there's still one kind of hiding out there. 
And I really like that extra tension that that brings because, as you said, when, when there's only one, it's like, well, we can pretty much mitigate this uh, if we work together as a team pretty well, unless things just don't go our way in, in the context of the game. Um, you know, I, I, we, can, we can probably get through this fine. And so I, I agree with you. I think you kind of need that, uh, that second Cylon for the game to really shine. Um, and do you think that there's anything to be said? Like I've heard people say that the game is, is a very fragile game. Um, not only in like what people are bringing to the table in terms of their expectations and their their willingness to buy into the theme, as we've already talked about, but also you know if you get a player who's a Cylon who doesn't know what they're doing and who makes themselves too obvious that it kind of breaks the game a little bit and, and can kind of ruin the experience. Would you say that that's true? Actually, it's funny. We talk about this, my friends and I. And when you get a new player to the game, there's this long determination of are they don't know what they're doing or are they a Cylon? <laughs> Is it Cylon or incompetence? <laughs> and in fact, we played a game and it was this one guy and he was clearly a Cylon and nobody, you know, I, it was obvious. But he left to go to the bathroom or something. And, and so we're talking we're like, we need to bring him. And I was like, no, he is so adamant that he's not a Cylon. that He's going to go out of his way to be pro-human for as long as possible, uh, you know, and to help us. So let's just let's just let it ride. Pretend we believe him as he's going on proving he's a human. And then at an opportune moment, we can we can put him in the brig. <laughs> right. Right. So you're going to use that against him. Exactly. So, so you find that's not as big of a deal as I'm making it sound. No, I mean, there is some. There, there is. They have to understand the rules. Usually, revealing is is. It's not a hard rule to understand, but it's the kind of thing that only comes up once, and you can't just sort of say, "Now, what are the rules for revealing again?" Without actually saying, "Yes, I am." A yes, silent. I am a silent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's where it gets to be a little sticky because they'll do something like think they have an extra action to do, and so they'll do something and then reveal, and you're like, "Well, no, you can't." Then reveal, and that's where it can get a little bit. Uh, falling apart. Uh, the other thing, and this is the one like at the very beginning, when you're looking at your card that says whether you're a Cylon or not, it's, you know, you're not a Cylon. And so your in immediate instinct is to say, I'm not a Cylon, I'm going to stick it down. But on the Cylon card, there's some extra text in there that you got to right. kind of pay attention to. So we always tell everyone, you know, look at your card for five seconds before you put it down because there have been games where someone's like, oh, I'm not a Cylon, or oh, hang on a minute, I got to read this. And you're like, okay, you know, let's start over. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of funny because the sort of uh, perhaps a spiritual successor to this game is uh, from Stronghold, Dark Moon. And that has the sort of um, exact same system whereby all the players get a card at the very beginning saying whether they're infected or whether they're not infected. And we actually do exactly what you just described. We have a 10-second house rule. Like, you must hold up your card and look at it for 10 seconds, yes. <laughs> regardless of whether you are infected or not, for exactly that reason. Because there's stuff that you have to read um, and understand. You know, uh, you have sort of a revealing power, um, something that you can do. And, and so people need to know that. But if everyone's slapping their cards down, then it's, it's kind of obvious. So, um, you know, before we go any further... Could you know? I kind of uh, hope I did a decent job of kind of giving an overview of the the idea behind the game, the sort of world that you're in, what your goals are. But could you maybe go through um, kind of like a round, like how what is like a what's the structure of the game, Eric? Could you kind of give a little overview of how the game's played so that people have a better understanding, maybe as we move forward into some of the more specifics of of Battlestar? 
Yeah, sure, not a problem. So you have your character, and your character gets to pick a certain number of skill cards. And these uh, these skill cards fall into five or six different categories. Um, engineering, military, piloting, politics. So depending on what kind of person you are, you get that mix of cards. Uh, and they're all color-coded. And so on your turn, you actually, it's a pretty simple game. On your turn, you move and take an action. And then after that, you draw a crisis. So you can move anywhere on the board that you want. Each space has a particular action you can take. So, for instance, if you go to the uh, cannons, you can fire cannons at something. If you go to the bridge, uh, you can, I don't know, do bridge things. Or you can try and throw <laughs> someone in the brig. Um, I drew a blank there at the second. So if you go into the hangar, that's what I was going to say. You can there hop you into go. a viper. Hop into a viper, yeah. Fly around <laughs> outside the ship for a while, yep. Exactly. So you do your move, you do your action. You also have actions you can do either in the cards that you play or maybe your character has a specific action. So you take your action and then after your action is complete, you draw a crisis card. And I'll never forget when the guy was describing the game to us, he says, these come in two flavors, bad and worse. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yep. And so there's this crisis that's going on and you have to figure it out. Maybe you're running out of food or maybe there is you know, you have an opportunity to accuse somebody of being a Cylon, whatever the the particular crisis is, there's a little bit of story there. And you either have to make a choice. It'll say, you know, Admiral chooses, we're going to lose some fuel to get some food, or we're going to lose some food and not lose fuel. Uh, Or there's a vote, and the votes are where things get real interesting. It'll say different colored cards are, are positive votes, and the other ones that are not indicated are negative, and you have to reach a certain value. And so what happens is everyone secretly places cards in there, and then you add them all up together. They each have different values on them. And if the total adds up to be greater than or equal to whatever the target number is, then you pass. And almost always pass means no effect. And then if it's less than that, then you fail, and fail means you lose something or Cylons show up or something basically bad happens. And this is this is one of the places where the Cylons can get real crafty is that they can put in cards that will, uh, you know, start to tank these votes. And you have to try and figure out who put in those cards. Right, because they're shuffled, yes? Yes, they're shuffled. And the game itself will put two random cards in as well. So you have to determine whether or not the game put them in or someone else put them in. Yeah, that's particularly difficult. And it's the only thing I think that makes it work at the lower player count. Uh, because otherwise it's just too easy. Um, but having like random cards uh, keeps that mystery, you know, because somebody either really did try to tank this intentionally or that was just a, a, a run of bad luck. And so you can never be 100% sure. Um, and that's and one of the things I think that makes the game work, right? Yeah. And to me, that is the ultimate key of this game, which makes it so much fun, is nothing you can do can be 100% innocent. Whenever you take an action, there's always another action you could take, and there is usually a reason why that one looks like it might be the better choice at the time. Um, so, and that's that's just so delicious to me. Is like even when I'm, you know, as human as human can be, right, doing right. the most altruistic things, there are still that little hint of doubt of whether or not I'm really, you know, doing the best I could do. Right, because as you said, there's you know different values and things, and so. Um, you, you never can be 100% sure. And, and that kind of comes out in, um, you know, that, that kind of feeling of sometimes, and this is the way, again, I, I kind of uh, describe Dark Moon, which is sometimes good people are forced to do bad things or yes. 
you know, and, and, and so is that just that you made the best of what you had and, and that was the best you could do, or are you really lying to us? And so that really kind of drives that paranoia and suspicion that is a large part of the game. So, you know, you have this kind of move, do an action, and, and draw your, your crisis card, and then you resolve it. Um, how much of the game then, because it's a very simple turn structure, how much of the game would you say is, uh, Joel Eddy uses this kind of uh, um, thing that he talks about where he says, there's kind of the game on the table, which is kind of the mechanisms of the game and how the game works, and there's the game above the table, right, which is almost like the metagaming kind of stuff. And then there's a game below the table, which is kind of the undercurrents of the game. Um, maybe a little bit more of the sort of emotional part of the game, the visceral kind of reactions to the game. How much of this, if we use Joel's kind of paradigm there, and I hope I actually quoted it right. I think <laughs> I did. How much of Joel's kind of paradigm there would you say Battlestar is? Like how much is above the table, how much is on it, and how much is below it? Certainly based on the amount of time, that you take up in the game, I would say about 60% is above the table. I would probably say about 30% is on the table and maybe 10, 10 to 20 would be below. So you really feel that most of the game is in that sort of negotiating and trying to kind of figure out who's who and the table talk and the sort of uh, accusations and then defense of the players. And, and it's, it's really kind of all about, explaining why you did what you did or or um trying to deflect someone's suspicions or whatnot and that's all done in that kind of above the table talk right yeah i mean like we flip over a crisis and we have to decide is it going to be food or or fuel or whatever and so you're trying to look at your cards you have everyone else kind of talk about well i can help a little or i can help a lot is it worth it trying to try and pass this because we're going to use up a bunch of cards that we won't get back for a little while so like every crisis usually requires some discussion and and then you know heaven forbid like you're the president and so you decide to sit in the president's office and draw a couple of cards well you don't draw the cards that you really need so now your turn's basically wasted and everyone's looking at you like was that really the best you could do right right <laughs> so so it does seem like at least for our group you know every action uh, is uh, is followed by some discussion and even after the results like of a crisis you know we're looking at all the cards and seeing all right i'm guessing you put these in i know you couldn't have put the blue in because you don't get blue but we have three blues so that means somebody in here is a cylon and you start trying to narrow down who it can be and so there's a lot of analysis and and prediction that goes on just outside of the mechanics of the game just trying to know what's going on do you ever find that that gets in the way of the game in other words uh, one of the games that we play uh, as a family that we like quite a bit is the resistance and everybody in the family really enjoys it except my wife my wife calls it the arguing game she's like <laughs> it's just nothing but people arguing and or possibly yelling um you know if it gets really spirited um and, and she just really does not enjoy that is, is there a point where you feel the discussion the debate and all that can detract from the game in other words have you ever uh, played with someone who just uh, maybe is taking that too far? Um, is there anything that you found over the years that will cut down on that? If so, what would you say about that? So we did. I hate to keep telling stories. Let me tell you about my character stories. But we did play <laughs> a game once. And it was, uh, it was a guy. He was playing Baltar. And Baltar is more likely to be a Cylon than anyone else. And he was acting pretty squirrely. 
But what was weird was it was first of all his first turn, first time playing. So again, we're trying to decide, you know, are you a Cylon or are you just not sure what you're doing? But the other thing is that there were two other people that we were pretty sure we had pegged as Cylons. And so we go through the game and I think ultimately we lost the Cylons one. And the guy playing Baltar afterwards, he reveals, yeah, he was a human the whole time. And we were like, well, why were you so squirrely? He's like, well, that's the way Baltar is. And and, and we're just like, no, <laughs> uh. no, you can't be that squirrely. And so, uh, I mean, you could, but it's just going to make the game that much harder for you. And and so those kinds of things. And that was just, you know, he was he was role playing. Yes. Like, yeah. Well, that's yeah. great. But, but I'm gonna... Save it for the role playing games. This is a board <laughs> game. This is important. <laughs> and so, I mean, those kinds of things can definitely uh slow things down uh and it can get a little tedious if everyone's not quite on the same page as far as what they're doing um the thing is with Battlestar Galactica I know I'm blocking it's like you said it's an event game I'm blocking out four hours whatever so if we're taking time to discuss this you know I I want to make sure that we you know enjoy the game and play it to its fullest so it's not like i'm trying to cram two hours in and get out so for me i don't usually worry too much about all of this discussion but there are um, since it's hinged on secrecy there are times when it doesn't work as well so this is a game that uh it definitely is kind of player dependent i think we're, we're all kind of agreeing and there's definitely some as you said there's some elements of Player familiarity and skill seems to matter. Would you, you know, because we've talked about the fact that if, like, you're a newbie and you are a Cylon, that chances are this is going to make things, you know, a little difficult possibly for the table because you're trying to figure out, do you not know what you're doing or are you a Cylon? Do you find that the game improves when you're playing with experienced players? And if so, uh, what what does that tell you about the game? <laughs> um a couple of times ago, a couple of BGGs ago, we played with a couple. Uh, there was four, three of us who knew how to play, then this couple. And they had played a lot themselves. And so all of us were sitting there, and we kept all saying, it's so nice that everyone knows how to play the game. Uh, you know, every time we think they have to stop and explain something, we all realize, no, wait, we all know what we're doing. And so we keep going. Um, it it certainly makes the game smoother, I'll tell you that. And you can start the whole who's a Cylon and who's not a Cylon from the very beginning. Um, whereas when there's new people, usually it takes a round or two of everyone going around before the people get comfortable and so the Cylons can sort of start acting as Cylons. Now, one of the things I think that the game does a great job of in helping this is that there's actually two rounds of loyalty cards. So in a regular deck of loyalty, there'll usually be twice as many, or there'll be one or two Cylon cards and then a whole bunch of not a Cylon cards. So statistically speaking, the chances of getting a Cylon card right at the beginning are relatively slim, usually 15, 10, 15%. Uh, and so for that first basically half of the game, there's a really good chance that everyone's on the human side. So you're just trying to kind of take it and work it. And if you're a Cylon, you're usually, you should, I think, kind of slow play it, just kind of see how things are going and figure out sort of the dynamics. And then when you reach the halfway point of the game, the rest of the cards come out, and that's when you know there's going to be a couple of Cylons out there. And then it sort of begins for real. Right. And so I, I, I kind of like that sort of gradual increase in the paranoia so that the newer people can kind of get their feet under their, uh, get their ground under their feet. 
Yeah, that is something I completely forgotten about because uh, it's been a while since I played. But yeah, it, it's it's a really interesting way of uh, doing exactly what you just said, and uh, I, I also really like that that fact that it it gives that extra layer of of paranoia because you just never really know, you know, like Cylons can pop up later. Um, and, and that's kind of a nifty thing because usually in most of these hidden trader games, you are who you are from the, you know, first moment of the game and that's who you're going to be, you know, in shadows over Camelot. If you know, you have that card, that's who you are, you know, um, you're not going to, you know, necessarily tr uh, turn into a trader later. Um, and so I kind of like that. Um, so the game definitely seems to reward repeated play. Do you think there's, uh, like, I find that in a lot of these games, Eric, I do pretty well. And I think it's just because I, I think I have some decent negotiating skills. Do you think that you need kind of those interpersonal communication skills in order to do well at this game? Or have you seen somebody do well who's not really good at being persuasive? You know, because I'm one of those people that can generally steer a table. If you give me enough time, I can steer a table. Um, and so there's been a lot of these kind of games that I've played where I'm, you know, either the good guy and I'm really good at explaining and proving that I'm one of the good guys and then gathering the troops together to ferret out the bad dudes. Or I'm really good at deflecting and making everybody else paranoid about somebody else. Do you think that there's a skill set there that's needed in order to play the game? It certainly helps. I think if you don't have that skill set, you certainly want to have a good analytical skill set so that if I can't persuade people that I'm doing one thing or the other, then I can at least have either math behind me or a plan in mind to kind of take care of that. Because I have seen uh, games where we knew someone was a Cylon. They never revealed themselves. But we knew they were a Cylon, and they... They basically knew they were a Cylon as well, but so much stuff was going on, we just didn't have time to deal with them. So we had to just sort of mitigate what they, what he could do, and I was just so impressed at how effective he was because we spent so much time dealing with his junk, but we didn't have enough time just to throw him in the brig, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. And similarly, when there are two Cylons in the game, if you're just you know a terrible Cylon, Go ahead and reveal. I personally feel that having one revealed and one unrevealed Cylon uh, is probably the most effective until you reach the very, very end of the game where you're just trying to pick one strategy to win. Um, so, you know, if you're just terrible at convincing people, um, you know, it may not be a bad idea just to reveal and just be more direct. You don't have to right. worry about subtlety right. at that point. Yeah, that's also true as well. Um, a lot of these questions that I've been throwing at you, Eric, is, is I'm, I'm kind of dancing around the central question, which is, is this one of those games that's kind of a, a, a niche kind of a game? You know, mm -hmm. it, does it require a, I mean, because look, we're talking about a game that requires a lot of time, that requires a good amount of people, that requires some sort of, I think we would say it's helpful to have some familiarity with the theme. Um, not necessary, but helpful. And then someone who's got either those strong analytical or kind of interpersonal kind of skills. So does that kind of, do you feel in any way limit uh, this game? Or do you think I'm making too much out of, you know, like what kind of player you need to be or would want to be to really kind of get this experience? 
No, I think you're definitely right. And to be honest with you, the biggest limit I think on the game is just the length of time it takes to play. Uh, three, four hours, sometimes even five, if you're really a debatable debating group. I think the the uh, stories and the just excitement and interaction and creativity and all of that that you get out of the game is just amazing. And that's why, you know, it's worth investing that much time. But, uh, you know, sitting down with somebody, and you're just at a, like a random gaming group and saying, well, we could play this game and it's going to take three hours or four hours. Or we could play, you know, these two games, which will take combined three or four hours. I mean, invariably, people will lean towards the, the two other games unless they've played it before. And I think that time is really the biggest uh, hurdle to jump over when you're trying to kind of get new people to, to kind of play it. But um, if they really kind of, and again, they really should enjoy that sort of interpersonal detective, deductive reasoning kind of stuff to really get the most out of the game. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, time is definitely a factor in the game. Um, and, and so since we're talking about time, and since we're talking about a game that, and this is something else I really wanted to touch base with you about, is this is a game, as you said, that has an extremely simple turn flow. And not a lot of rules overhead. I would argue that this game is not that difficult to teach. It's not that difficult to learn because most of the game is not on the table. It's above the table. But let's start talking about the expansions just for a moment because there's been a lot of expansions. And I'm curious as to whether or not you feel that these expansions really add something to the experience or whether we're starting to kind of get into the realm of bloat, you know, like where, where you just end up with too many layers that have been placed on top, adding too many kinds of uh, different rules and edge cases and, and things of that nature, that it sort of detracts from it. Because any game that's been successful, whether it's Power Grid or Battlestar, uh, Dominion, there's going to be the idea of expansions, right? And Battlestar in particular, because there was so much story in the sort of new series, there's it's just perfect for the idea of expansions. But I want to kind of hear your opinion about the expansions, because I think the first one was Pegasus, and then I'm looking at BGG here. Then it looks like we had Exodus, and then we had Daybreak, uh, are like the three big main expansions as far as I can see here. So what are your thoughts about the expansion? Are they something that adds to the experience, detracts from it? Is it a mixture? What do you think? So, yeah, each of those expansions kind of dealt with another season of the series. So I guess the first game was kind of the first season. Second expansion was the second season, third and fourth. Uh, and so they all added a lot of different flavor that those seasons added. And each of those expansions had just bunches of little pieces you could slot into the game, which on the one hand is cool, but on the other hand does make for a lot of confusion and complexity because now I've got these pieces from one game and I got to flip through, you know, I got to find the right book and find the right rules to deal with these particular pieces. Uh, uh, when the last BG, every year at BGGCon we play a Battlestar Galactica game. So last year's game, which was last month, uh, you know, I, I brought my box and I don't think I had played it much during the year. And so we open it up and we set it up and I kind of pick the pieces I think we want to play with and we start going. And about halfway through the game, there's some cards in there I realize that probably shouldn't be in there because we're not using that particular piece. 
of it. And so I was like, well, if we get those cards, ignore it and keep drawing. And, and it didn't really hamper the game much, but it did make it a little clunkier. So when I got back, I was like, you know what? I need to just make the perfect version of my game, you know, the one I like the best. And, and so I sorted it out to where only those pieces are in it. And so that's kind of where the difficulty of the of the expansions comes into play. Um, but the each expansion either tries to fix a little bit of a hinky part of the rules or adds more story to it. And so ultimately you have to kind of decide, you know, do I care about the things that get fixed or do I care about sort of the things that get added? Interesting. Okay. So um, it sounds as though a lot of the expansions, because I, I have played with none of them. So ah. it sounds as though most of the expansions are modular in that you can plug them in or unplug them, which leads to that opportunity to customize the game and the experience, which is really always something that's attractive. It's always fun to get to tinker, you know, um, yeah. and, and try to find different things that might work or that your group's really going to respond to. Um, but, uh, I'm also intrigued by the sort of storytelling part. So, um, let's take a look, uh, real quick at each of them. Pegasus. Um, what I, what I want you to do is if you're, if you're okay with this, kind of give me just a, a brief overview of, you know, what does that add? Um, you don't have to get into all of the nitty gritty, but like, what does it add? And do you think it's a good expansion? You know, one that you would definitely want to have or one that, you know, you could maybe let go. I just want to kind of get a ranking from you on these expansions is what I'm trying to get, get out here, Eric. Gotcha. Okay. Now, one of the things I love in board games are when you have a character that has unique abilities, uh, which of course you have in Battlestar Galactica. So all of the expansions add new characters. And so for me, you know, I'm getting all the expansions because I want all the characters. I want to have as much flexibility as possible. Gotcha. Um, and so uh, now, so for Pegasus, the, the big thing that it adds is the Pegasus, which is another battle star. And it adds the ability to do uh, greater attacks, and, but there's also a risk of kind of hurting yourself. So like you, you can blow up enemy ships more effectively, but you might accidentally hit one of your own as well kind of thing. It also introduces the idea of executions. So previously, if someone you thought was a Cylon, you can put them in the brig, and that helps minimize some of what they can do. Uh, it's also a bit of a problem in the game. Like if, if you're a new player and you get thrown in the brig early on, it can really sour your, you on the game itself. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so with executions, uh, basically your your character is killed. If you happen to be a Cylon, you are then forced to reveal, and then you sort of go about your business. If you're not a Cylon, everyone loses morale because we killed a human, and then you get a new character to play. Um, so it it it's it's certainly a great threat to hold over people, and it's always a, a nice, interesting risk when it actually happens. Uh, and so that's kind of fun. Uh, it adds the Cylon leaders, but to be honest with you, they don't do a good job of them. Uh, when we get to Daybreak, we'll talk about how to do a good job with Cylon leaders. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also adds New Caprica. Now, what New Caprica is, is an alternate ending. So previously in the base game, your goal is to try and jump your fleet a distance of eight and then jump one more time. Basically, you get away from the Cylons. In this one, you go a certain distance, and then a whole new board is brought up, and there are new mechanics to be played with this board. And you're essentially trying to get your people off the planet and then get away before the Cylons can kind of oppress you. Um, it was neat when it came out, 
but ultimately you realized it added 30 more minutes to the game and all bunch of new mechanics that, you know, again, my opinion just kind of wasn't really worth the extra effort. So that would be an example of uh, what I was talking about. That might be a little bit of bloat then in in your view. I agree. Yep. Uh, And it does replace the big cardboard X's with plastic base stars as well, which are nice uh, if you want to bling your, your, your uh, game out absolutely because i'm still not intimidated by the cardboard black x (laughs) (laughs) nor should you be (laughs) okay all right uh the next one was what the daybreak one exodus exodus was the next one the next one okay and there are two big things that this adds uh the first is the cylon fleet board and then the second is a new ending called ionian nebula we'll talk about the ionian nebula first it's a whole different ending and again you are there's different kind of mechanics that go on and you sort of get to a certain point in the game and then sort of go over and do this other thing uh and again i felt that it just sort of added to the game this is one i actually never played i played the new caprica board a few times but ionian nebula just really didn't seem like it was worth all of the effort right right and truth to be told i haven't heard a lot of people just in general discussions that really like it Now, the Cylon Fleet Board, on the other hand, is an excellent piece because what it allows you to do is when you... Well, let me back up a second. Normally, when you're playing the game, sometimes you flip over crisis cards and there's these... Instead of a test or a decision to make, there are all of these Cylon ships that just suddenly jump in and appear. And so it's great because you never know when it's going to happen. And when it does, it's an immediate, oh, no, kind of moment. Mm -hmm, The mm -hmm. bad side to it is, is if you're a pilot character you can go a long time without any enemy ships out there to fly and fight. And so you're walking around the ship kind of doing nothing because there's nothing for you to fly around and do. So what the Cylon Fleet Board does is it gets rid of all of those uh, crisis cards where stuff suddenly jumps in. And as the game progresses, the board slowly builds up until eventually it all jumps in. It makes the fleet Cylon Fleet stuff more consistent and more predictable. So uh, it also makes it a little more difficult, which means that there's going to be more opportunity for the pilots to go out and fly and shoot stuff. So it certainly smooths out the randomness of when stuff will appear and gives your pilots a little bit more to do. Uh, And so consequently, I really like it because I feel that it, it, again, I hate for someone to play Battlestar and just do nothing on each of their turns. As the pilot, yeah, flying around. That was me. Yeah, I was flying around. (laughs) Yeah. And so in this one, even if there's no Cylon ships on the board, you're still trying to escort civilian ships off the board because anytime there's a civilian ship on the board, it's vulnerable. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. So so there's lots of things that you can do even when there's no ships appearing. And then sometimes the whole board will suddenly appear and sometimes it'll just be sections of the board will appear. It just kind of depends on what cards are drawn. All right. Well, it sounds like that uh, definitely would add some interesting options. And as you said, it seems like it's trying to smooth out some of the maybe little hitches in the original kind of base game. All right. So the last one was Daybreak, right? So what can you tell me about Daybreak? So it brings a couple of things. The first thing it does is it adds the Mutineer, which is a human player who often is looking out for their own interests. And so consequently, it's a little detrimental to the humans. And the Mutineer replaces the sympathetic Cylon from the first game, or from the base game. Mm -hmm. And what the sympathetic Cylon is, is when you have an even number of players, there's a character who may become a Cylon. 
And so what happens is when you reach that middle point of the game, if any of your resource dials are in the red, which means they're below half, then the sympathizer is going to be on the human side. Otherwise, the sympathizer will be on the Cylon side. Right. And what this means is you're artificially encouraged as a human player to tank at least one of your resources so that you don't have another Cylon to deal with. I personally never had a problem with that. Uh, Anything that kind of makes the team sort of act Cylon-y kind of helps the Cylons and makes the game more interesting. But there were a lot of people that felt that it was pretty uh, artificial in the game. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so what they did with Daybreak is they replaced the Sympathizer with the Mutineer, who if you're the Mutineer, you're on the human side, but there are mutiny cards that you will sometimes be forced to play, which won't help you at all. But if you don't play them, you're going to lose the game kind of thing. And so you're sort of forced to to help the Cylons out, but in a sort of public way. So people know that you're still human, but, you know, you've got to do this. Well, that definitely sounds interesting. And again, it's 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 fun to see how many of these things you're talking about in the expansions mirror, as you said, different events and seasons and things that happened in the uh, new television series. So, um, yeah, I can definitely kind of see the, the roots kind of trailing back to there. So um, it sounds like there's something from each of these expansions that you really seem to like. Um, that you would add in in that sort of plug-and-play fashion. So there's no real dogs in the mix here, no? Uh, not for the, there's just enough good stuff in each one of these that you want to you know for me personally want to pick it up. So you one thing, have saved nobody any money, Eric. Is the bottom line? Uh, <laughs> not only yeah, not only have I bought all of these, I bought the broken token boor, uh, box, you know, organizer. Right, right, right. Nice. <laughs> and I have tricked out my set a little bit. Uh, I've got custom little holders for the cards. I've kind of customized the start token. Yeah, I've, I've. The only thing I haven't done, I think, is paint the ships. <laughs> right, right, nice. One, All right. One thing I do want to say: if you start to get the expansions on the Geek, there is someone who has so graciously created a combined rule book, which has taken all the rules from all the games and turned them into one PDF and put them all in the appropriate locations. Oh, that's fantastic. So if you have a question or when you're setting up, because otherwise you're flipping through three or four different books trying to get everything set up. So I strongly recommend going out to the Geek and and getting this consolidated rule book because it just makes referencing things so much easier. Yeah, that's actually fantastic. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I didn't know about that. And uh, there's so many games that have, you know, expansions and whatnot. And even if it's something, you know, like Dominion or, or regardless of what it is, like it's not it's very annoying in a first world problem kind of a way to have to flip <laughs> through all these different rule books, you know, and you're like, ah, you know, what is this? And uh, there was kind of a, a trend there in rule book writing for a while. Uh, I remember like Mage Knight had a split rule book and um i think uh uh, one of uh, uve rosenberg's game had a split rule book and uh, you know i I used to be annoyed by that let alone having uh you know three or four different rule books you're having to go through and and kind of find all of these little um you know rules and set up things and all that so that sounds like a a great great resource so people should definitely check that out all right so uh, the one question i haven't asked you yet uh and we're about an hour in uh, the, the one question i haven't asked you yet is why is this your favorite game like what why is this one that you wanted to talk about and and come on the show today so uh it was a love at first sight kind of thing and it hit two big cylinders the first one as i mentioned was having characters with special abilities you know i always love having 
a unique choice and trying something out because to me it makes the game much more replayable because I was this character and now I can try and be some other character. But honestly, it's really just the puzzle of figuring out who's on your side or if you're the Cylon, you know, trying to figure out the most efficient way to make everything go away without being obvious. And and all of that above the board gameplay is what I just love about this game. Just I know that you know that I can't drink the wine in front of me (laughs) kind of decisions. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, what were the two great rules he said the first never get involved in a land war in asia and the second (laughs) only slightly less known it's something like don't gamble with death with the yeah never gamble with a sicilian when death is on the line (laughs) that was it that was it (laughs) well i I appreciate you sharing that uh because you know this is definitely one of those games that engenders a lot of really strong feelings um you know from people who play it and who enjoy it and uh you know it's definitely one that that uh i kind of fell into really liking much more later, you know, after that initial kind of an experience and after I'd seen the shows and all that. So uh, it's definitely one that I enjoyed playing. But my biggest problem was trying to get a large enough group of people together and trying to carve out enough time. And so consequently, the game um, sadly ended up leaving my collection because I never really seemed to have the opportunity to actually play the thing. Um, and then, you know, from the outside were other games, you know, that kind of scratch that itch a little bit, you know, games like the resistance and, uh, you know, things of that nature. And then, you know, along comes dark moon and, you know, dark moon is a game that I have a little bit of history with. So I've got some personal kind of stuff, uh, uh, tied up in it. But my, my thing is though, I wanted to know if you could talk about, it. I don't know if you've had the chance to play dark moon, but the idea of, how well do you feel the two of these um, connect? Um, are they completely different? Do they scratch the same itch in some ways? Because Dark Moon started off as Battlestar Galactica Express uh, by Evan Derrick. And it, it kind of uh, got changed a little bit, tweaked a little bit, and turned into Dark Moon, uh, which was released by Stronghold, I guess it was last year. So have you played Dark Moon? And if so, do you think... Uh, it does a good job of capturing a Battlestar feel or not? Yes, I certainly have played Dark Moon. And actually, I played BSG Express once uh, as well because I really liked the... I love the idea of these Express games. There's been quite a few print-and-play versions like Pandemic Express and things like that. And so I, when I heard there was BSG Express, I had to check it out. And I was real impressed with how it, it captured a lot of the essence of the game without uh, you know, a lot of the, the time overhead. And so, and Dark Moon just kind of took that and ran with it. And uh, I, I really enjoy Dark Moon. I do feel that it scratches the same itch, but it's, it's kind of a difference between going to a Chipotle and going to a full blown, you know, excellent Mexican restaurant. Uh, I enjoy my experience at Chipotle. You know, assuming I don't pick up some sort of E. coli. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice, but. Uh, and the whole reason is the the time that the game takes because Dark Moon usually takes about an hour, hour and a half and like we said, Battlestar Galactica takes three or four hours and in that three or four hours I really get to know there's a, I have many choices you know, many turns, I usually get 10 or 12 turns in a game uh, and I'm watching everybody and what they're doing and there's a lot of 
being able to puzzle things together and piece them together and, and figure out who I can trust and who I can't. There's a lot of that in Dark Moon as well, but it's kind of distilled. I know the couple of times that I've been the infected in Dark Moon, I realized that by the second turn, by the time it ran around my second turn, I better reveal because there's not going to be a whole lot more turns to go so that I can really sort of impact the game and, and help my side win. And so it's it's the same impact, just it's a lot more condensed. And so I enjoy it. Given the choice, I would much rather play Battlestar Galactica than Dark Moon just because the, the whole the whole uh, experience is, is deeper. But, it, you know, time and number of players and those kinds of things often mean that Dark Moon actually makes it to the table more often than Battlestar Galactica. And it certainly does kind of scratch that itch. And, you know, you have that same kind of thing. Well, I wish I could help, but all I did was roll on negative, negative numbers. So let me put the least out there. Sorry, guys. When in reality, you know, you've got the plus four sitting there behind you. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, much like much like in uh, Battlestar, where like, I'd love to help on this tech, on this skill check but i have only low cards and you throw a couple of junk in there yep yep yeah it does seem to scratch that same itch but i would not say it's as thematic of an experience as battlestar is um i think because of the special player powers i mean dark moon has special player powers as well but they're they're more muted they're more mechanical you know they, they, they they're a little more um on the table kind of powers. It's like, okay, you know, if I attempt to fix on the shield tech, so if I work on trying to fix the shields, I don't have to sacrifice a die when I'm done kind of a thing. It's like, okay, you know, all of those things uh, kind of make sense. But I feel that Battlestar is, is definitely tells more of a kind of an epic story uh, without a doubt. Um, Dark Moon, however, has that virtue of giving me quite a, a good amount of that feel not all of it, but a good amount of it, and quite a few of those stand-up moments. I just played uh, Dark Moon like three days ago, and we ended up losing. But there was a point much earlier where we could have lost, and it all came down to me. I was the last person. <laughs> I had one die. I looked at my buddy Steve, who was visiting uh, uh, from uh, 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 Michigan, uh, Steve Oxenic, who uh, um, has his own podcast and, and many people uh, known on the geek from uh, Stormseeker 75. Um, and, you know, I, I looked at Steve, I looked at everybody else. I'm like, I'm going to roll a plus four. I'm going to roll a plus four. <laughs> and there's it, there's only one plus four on your black die. And I'm like, I'm going to hit it. And I needed a four. There was like, there was no room for wiggle. And I, and I just threw it up in the air, like just literally <laughs> threw it up in the air yelled as i threw it and we all watched it drop and bounce around and it sure it came up a plus four and i mean you can't buy moments like that with money you know that's no. just one of those I, things yeah. where you're like that just happened and everyone's Everyone, high-fiving yeah. and even the infected are high-fiving <laughs> because you know they're not you know it was yeah, yeah. it was just a huge amount of fun um you know that that kind of uh those kind of stories and those moments that I kind of get uh, from playing either of these games. And so, uh, as you said, I think that the biggest thing is that Dark Moon seems to get to the table more just because I can get it to the table. It's a more reasonable playtime and, and things of that nature. But, um, you know, Battlestar, I, I do think, offers, especially for those people who are invested in the theme and invested yeah. in the show, it just offers a, a really rich kind of a rewarding experience. Um, that that goes even beyond, I think, what what Dark Moon offers up, and so, 
you know, my whole thing has always been, hey, if you can play Battlestar, play Battlestar. If you can't, then definitely play Dark Moon. Like, Dark Moon kicked out all the other ones for me. Just the virtue of the fact that while we've been talking in here, I've referenced four or five different games that we played, you know, and what happened in those games. And some of those games took, you know, like four, four years ago. Right. But, you know, those moments are still in the brain. And and that's one of the things that I love about both games is that there is a story being told here. And because, you know, you were talking about that rolling the die, the very last game we played uh, BGG Con, we were on the human side and we knew we were lost. Our fuel was down to one and we were going to jump and win the game. But we knew that when we flipped over whatever jump card, it's going to cost us at least one fuel. And as soon as you hit zero, you lose. So... I mean, we couldn't really win the game. So the, my friend Shannon sitting next to me, he draws, he's the admiral, he draws the two destination cards, and there's one that gives you bonus fuel. Oh, <laughs> man. Like, oh, we took, you know, we took defeat and made victory That's out of awesome. It. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, when you get that perfect <laughs> flip, when you get that perfect roll, um, it is just, it's an amazing thing. It's absolutely an amazing thing. And that's part of what makes, you know, both of these games, but in particular Battlestar, it makes them such an experience, you know? And as you said, these are stories that you remember for, for years afterwards. And as much as I love Euro games, you know, um, I just played a wonderful game of uh, uh, Orleans or Orleans, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, like uh, four days ago with my, uh, with my gaming group. And we had a blast, but I'm not going to remember that particular game session in two weeks. It, it was it was right. a fun game of Orleans. It fully engaged me. I had a blast playing it, but it's not going to be with me. And I think that's where that storytelling thematic element, I think that's what draws people so much to this game, is exactly what you said, which is you're going to have those sessions that you are going to remember for a long, long time. So, well, Eric, I want to thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts today about Battlestar. And uh, is there anything that uh, I did not have the chance or forgot to ask you? Uh, anything that you want to talk about or cover before we kind of uh, uh, put this uh, behind us and uh, uh, you know move on to uh, a few other items? Uh, no, I think we really covered the, the 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 important aspects of the game. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad, uh, you know, because this is one that I've been meaning to try to do for a while because I know it's, it's a game that has a huge following and it's a game that is an important one. You know, it, it's it's spawned a lot of games, uh, including Dark Moon, uh, obviously, that uh, really kind of propelled this genre of hidden traitor games with a, a nod to Shadows Over Camelot. Um, it, it kind of propelled this genre into the forefront where I think it's one of the most popular styles of game. Uh, right now, uh, you know, that I can think of are all of these kind of hidden trader or secret information kind of games. So uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, before we go, uh, I just want to kind of give a, a chance here now for those people who might be listening, doubtful, but there might be some out there listening uh, who don't know uh, you and your work and what you do, Eric. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your own podcasting work and, and you know, the, the things that you do uh, out there? I'm, gonna, I'm even going to say on the interwebs, as uh, Donald always says <laughs> it. Uh, anything you want to tell us? Yeah, sure. So, of course, you can visit us on Onboard Games. That's our podcast. We've been doing it for quite a while now, Don and myself, and now added Isaac and Stephanie. Uh, so we talk about it. We have a roundtable with a discussion, and then we usually do reviews and other little segments as well. So you can check that out in iTunes or whatnot. Inverse Genius is sort of the web 
site home of all of the stuff that we do podcast wise. So if you're curious about, uh, there's a games and schools and libraries podcast and on RPGs that I do as well. So if any of those are interesting to you, then you can kind of check it out there. Also, you can visit my website, ericdewey.com, E-R-I-K-D-E-W-E-Y.com. A bunch of different gaming-related things, but also, the mo- more importantly, I have this thing called the Big Book of Everything, which is a uh, Excel or PDF that you can download for free, and it just allows you to kind of organize your life, keep track of your passwords and all of the kind of details and data that we have in our day-to-day lives. Ideally, it was created because if I were to pass away, you know, my family may not have any idea what my Facebook password is or something like that. <laughs> right, right. And rather yeah. than have them deal with all of that, you know, there's that. But it's also useful for like, because I'm finding out, filling out job applications because I have, you know, all previous residences and, and account numbers and those kinds of things. So uh, I certainly encourage people to check it out. Like I said, it's a free download. You can fill it out and just give yourself some peace of mind. Well, thanks for that tip and uh, for the web address where people can go and check that out. Uh, I did want to uh, ask you as a follow-up question. I noticed uh, that you know your your sort of podcasting uh, family had grown recently with Isaac and Stephanie, and sometimes like Isaac and Stephanie will do their own kind of a thing, like a Kickstarter kind of a show, and then. Uh, sometimes you guys will just do your, and then sometimes it's all of you. So what what has uh, you know what can you tell people about the change in the podcast? Because for the longest time, it's kind of been the two of you. Yes. Yeah, and it still mostly will be. What we had was two shows on one feed. We had the onboard game show, then we had the crowdfunding edition that Isaac and Stephanie did. Uh, And that obviously focused on Kickstarters and crowdfunding. Uh, But what we've basically decided to do is just make it one show on board games, and we'll just have segments. So if there's a Kickstarter segment on one of our you know, on one show or a Kickstarter segment on another show. It's all just different segments on the show. Uh, And we may mix and match our, uh, you know, who's talking with who. I may talk with Stephanie, Don may talk with Isaac, or just how our schedules meet. So it'll mostly be the same show, but it kind of eliminates sort of, we had basically bifurcated our our listeners. (laughs) Some people like one show, some people didn't like the other. Uh, And so we're just kind of merging them all into one big show. Well, excellent. That's good news, and and uh, glad to hear that. Uh, Isaac, I've had the the fortune to meet a couple of times. He has his own website. Is that Kind Fortress? Uh, I think yep, it is. Yep, he's at Kind Fortress. Yep, um, and he's a real real nice guy. Uh, um, kind of a uh, he's got some clever game designs that I know he's working on, and has a real good mind for the hobby, and uh, always very thoughtful and, and interesting to to listen to his commentary. And I've enjoyed listening to Stephanie as well. Um, you know, because I, I feel that. Uh, not only does she do a good job, um, but I feel that, you know, females tend to be underrepresented in our hobby. Um, and, you know, I think anytime we can hear from women uh, more in the hobby, I think it's good. I, I, you know, there's there's been some shows I've been doing it for a while, like what, uh, Garrett's Games and Geekiness uh, uh, was that uh, with Doug Garrett and Shelly. I mean, she's been around for, for a long time uh, and participating. Um, but, you know, I, I just think it's great when, we kind of expand the range of voices in the hobby, and I think it's great that you guys have them on. And uh, you know, I, I always look forward to hearing what uh, the, the both of them have to say. I just haven't had the chance to meet her in person yet. So, um, well, you know, Eric, I want to thank you for uh, reaching out and uh, uh, asking to talk about uh, you know Battlestar Galactica. It's been a blast uh, getting to hear your insights about it, and I want to thank you for being on the show. 
Well, I want to really thank you for letting me be on the show. I certainly enjoy listening to your show. What's funny is I'll look at some back episodes that I never listened to, and I'll listen to them, and I'm like, oh, I really want to talk about it. And, you know, it's kind of like watching a movie that everyone else has seen two years ago. <laughs> hey, you know, I just, saw, I just saw Heat. Let's talk about Heat. Like, uh, exactly. Like 10 years ago. <laughs> well, so thank I, you. Thank but you. I do enjoy your show, and thank you very much for letting me be on. Not a problem. My pleasure entirely. 